0: Hi, everybody. It is uh, 1.14 in the morning here on the 23rd of January, 2022. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of the hosts of uh, Morning Combat, and this is our UFC 270 post-fight show. It will just be me today, but of course, you'll get all of the Brian Campbell you can uh wish for on monday um all right so if you are watching please 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 if you would be so kind as to give this video a thumbs up no matter who you are and if you are new here if you've been around a few times and maybe you haven't clicked that button now is a great time a phenomenal time nay the best time to hit subscribe please subscribe to the channel we do a show three times a week plus a whole lot more including these post-fight shows for big UFC pay-per-views UFC 270 is in the books we're going to get to the results the analysis your questions I have a tweet up right now at L Thomas News it's like this but you can skip the U the K and the E if you want to go there you can check it out um and this is of course where you can follow me on Instagram okay all right without further ado let's talk about it if you don't want spoilers Now's your time to go because we got to get this party started. All right. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Do all that good stuff. With that in mind, let's pull up this results, And I'm going to get to the numbers as I always do. So let me get that as well. Um, Because that is an important part of this show. All right. Here come the results. Let's do it. Up first, your main event. Of course, UFC 270 took place uh, at the Honda Center in Anaheim, California. All right, in your main event. Francis Ngannou defeats Cyril Ghosn. Incredible, right? Uh, Via unanimous decision. 48-47, 48-47, 49-46. I have not seen... Uh, any of the, the numbers, I guess we'll take a look at those when we get them. But for now, what is there to say about this? Wow. Um, whew, who do I start with? Let's start with the thing that stands out to me most about this fight. First of all, incredibly impressive for both guys. I think I think most fans can walk away and say that I don't know if either guy had their best showing. I think it was in some ways a pretty unexpected fight all the way through, especially in that fifth round. But in general, I think both guys gave you a lot of reason for confidence too, right? Uh, amidst all their errors. Here is... So here is my producer. Okay. Um, What an epic miscalculation by Cyril Gaon in the fifth round. I don't... I... Cyril Gahn spent a lot of time telling everybody, and I stand by it, and certainly and I'll, I think I'll explain the difference. Um, this was a, I think also Cyril Gaṇ had a bit of a learning lesson here about some of his own deficiencies, um, perhaps related to fence wrestling. I think grappling in general. Obviously, he comes from striking. A lot of his uh, striking is, you know, you saw here today, right? Stick and move either all the way in. He was clinching and wrapping or he was all the way out, right? And that kind of a thing, which was smart. That's why he didn't do those roundhouse kicks. that's I mean, that can be, you know, depending on how you work it, but that, sometimes that can be a real mid-range kick. And I think, you know, with, with uh, Gon uh, and Gon having an 84-inch reach, you just, or 83, excuse me, you don't really want to play with that. but the, But this is the point. On the feet... Uh, Cyril Gon has, or Cyril, however you pronounce it, has an extraordinarily high fight IQ. He just makes constant good decisions, right? And when he is the one kind of doing Muay Thai-ish wrestling along the fence line, he also looks like he just makes really good decisions, right? When the, when it comes into his wheelhouse, he makes good decisions. And he is a good grappler. Uh, I think you saw that. He ran the pipe in the fifth round on the head outside single, uh, which was great. He looked. I mean, that was textbook. He looked great doing that. So he does have some ability. But I think what showed up to me a little bit was there is a difference in the level of his decision making as it relates to what to do on the feet versus what's the decision making on the ground and what are the proper things to do in certain situations. Uh, Obviously, running the pipe and having to get on top in the fifth round is not a situation that Gon found himself in a lot, but I want to tell you a story. Now, I've I've often maintained this, always maintained this, I will forever maintain this. My training experience is merely as a hobbyist. I don't in any way wish to suggest that, um, you know, you, you just really be very careful about being the Al Bundy who threw four touchdowns in high school and then using that as a reference point for professional athletes. However, what I will say is, and I think... You know, if there's any question about this, and you know anyone else who grapples, or perhaps you can ask your favorite grapple, I do believe that they will say that there is probably something to this. It is probably true that you will see a lot of really advanced grapplers get into a situations, a lot of uh, where they might stand, wrap an ankle, and then sit for some kind of leg entanglement, heel hook, whatever. That does happen pretty frequently, but there's a lot of different context to it. There can also be someone who is a little bit more of a beginner slash intermediate grappler and what they'll do is they might not know how to pass guard or they might be tired and not want to pass guard. They might get a little bit lazy about passing guard and if you find yourself in one of these situations, especially with another beginner to intermediate uh, training partner, what will often happen is their feet will be loose. And so you can just kind of grab it and then sit. I one time got like kind of like like smacked on the back of my my head very lightly by an instructor being like, No, 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 no. It's like, yes, there are people who, of course, can do that. You know, you may be a Sombist or or again, you know, really experienced leg lockers. They can they can work without having to pass. They've got all kinds of things. And you saw him use it, by the way, you know, he did do something great where, you know, once Francis got to his feet. You saw him use it. He was extending to off-balance Francis because if Francis can get on his feet and you can't raise the heel of Francis, the heel hook power goes away, but he was able to off-balance him. So he did some good stuff underneath there, but that decision to sit was epically bad. A, A giant miscalculation, and it seems to me it comes from the fact that The decision-making skills that he has earned for himself in these clinch positions and at range, they are very, very high, but that's because he has much more experience and much more, he's worked through these kinds of problems in a much more ready way. That is clearly not the case on the ground. It seems to me that the lack of experience on the ground affected his judgment calls about what kinds of positions and attacks to pursue and he he punted basically on the fifth round uh as a consequence now i'm only bringing that up not to say that that is the story of the fight i do not think that is necessarily the story it's the story of the fifth round for sure and it's the story i think of what um cyril gone really got wrong however maybe the more important story is francis Nganu is really quite exceptional he and his team are really quite exceptional let me also make sure I get a mea culpa here. I thought for sure Cyril Gon was going to win this fight. I was pretty confident he was going to win this fight. Um, I think he was barely the odds-on favorite by the time the fight started. But you know, whatever you want to say about that, um, I knew I knew Francis was dangerous. I think we all knew Francis was dangerous. Did I? Did I believe that Francis could wait patiently, preserve enough cardio to win the fight with wrestling late? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Got it wrong. Got it wrong. Got it wrong. Didn't see it coming. Never discussed it. I think uh, I I will give credit to Brian Campbell. I think he did. I think he was much more of an active believer in the wrestling of uh, Francis. So credit where credit is due. I think Brian had more foresight about that, certainly, than I did. Um, but I just, I, I got to tell you, I mean, just got to be honest with you guys, I i just didn't see it. I knew that, you know, if he wanted to engage in that, let's say in the second round, maybe early third, that, you know, I thought he could do something with it. But to be able to, like, get taken down like that, and even though I thought Gon made a miscalculation to get on top, and then he having his own sweep and reversal you know um well i think it was rever- a sweep is something where top goes to bottom or bottom goes to top using a guard a reversal is when they don't i need to go back and look to see if he used a guard to do it but either way you know getting on top like that just he continues to be full of surprises his growth is beyond real at this point i didn't think anybody could give Cyril Gan a tough fight much less a fight that looked like that and he did dude he did he did he at 35 years of age he is incredible he is incredible dude go back and look at some of those things that takedown was just insanely powerful and you know he's not out there mobile passing and all that kind of stuff it's not there wasn't a ton of ground to pound on top because you know we all, I think we all thought well if Francis could get on top and he still got some cardio to do some wrestling, Maybe he's going to have terrifying ground to pound. And I bet if he gets going, he does. He didn't this time. Probably out of concern for losing Cyril underneath, right? Cyril was not so dynamic. You saw a lot of times he would get allow the mount so he could drive a hand underneath and then kick him past with one of his own legs, throw him past him, and then with the arm, use it as an underhook to throw uh, Francis by, but a lot of times it didn't work or it kind of worked halfway and he had to t- use a lot of energy to get out of it. But um, you just gotta take your hat off to clearly all of the hard work that ha- that Francis has put in the gym to stay calm under pressure, to you know maybe give away the first couple of rounds. Uh, maybe the first, well, I guess he didn't, score to the judges, but you know, you may, you may have, I, I thought the fight turned in, in, in the third. Um, but you know, I've always found it imp- impressive, not just to beat gone over the course of five rounds, but then you spotted him the first two. So you had to win the last three. He is a Marvel. He is a Marvel man. I mean, we, this fight was kind of labeled, you know what, um, and including by Fernand Lopez, the coach of, of well, previously of both, but certainly of Cyril Gan. um, you know, they kind of made this fight out to be bronze versus brains, but I don't, that was a crude way to look at it before the fight, and it's certainly not true here after the fact at all. Uh, Francis, yes, of course, he's got the dim mock, you know, he touches you and he'll fucking turn you into sand in an instant, right? I mean, <laughs> he will be, I mean, you know. Francis knocks people out and leaves their shadow uh, imprinted on the octagon. I mean, he just vaporizes people. I don't know. I don't know if his power is going to translate um, into the fifth or not. But um, in any case, I, I for Francis to not really use that uh, somewhat certainly as a threat. Dewey Cooper telling him to go to the uppercut. And Francis doing it that deterred I think a lot of some of Gon's initiation of exchanges on the feet. Like I thought in the first round he was kind of in a little bit more of a flow before Francis really got cooking with some of the adjustments. And then when he got with the adjustments, then it was a lot of then it was a lot more stuff at range, not not quite as much with the hands. And you know to wait where you're even you know you're still getting pot shotted a little bit, you're still getting jabbed a little bit to wait on that and then find an opportunity with pressure. Careful pressure, not to get lit up himself, you know, because because gone does have big strike, athletic potential as well, and then to control the fight with takedowns, and then when he got the takedown, immediately reaching for wrist control once gone got to an elbow, like the Dagestani handcuff, all that stuff. To, so understanding how to control the position, and uh, and managing his resources, and and not letting gone do anything but you know work off the defensive. That's so impressive for a guy to be a late I mean a 35 is not super old for heavyweight, but just as a, a person in life athletically, for someone to make these kinds of strides at this age, again, for heavyweight, I grant, not super old. But you even heard Francis tonight in the post-fight speech, like he's like, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time left. Not 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 some kind of immediate departure, but not a whole lot of time. You know, now is the time to start making some the you can see he's 35 years of age. You can see why he's thinking about these things, why this is important, why it's something he wants to do, why he needs to get paid, you know, these big bucks. And to be this late in your athletic life and still, you know, he's showing the kind of development that these guys show when they're, you know, uh, 28 you know and they fight to fight and they're like there's just way 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 better he didn't show it as much in the rosen strike fight but that was during the pandemic and you know it was all kind of strange but in this in the Stepe miocic rematch and certainly in this one dude he is he knocked out Stepe miocic and out wrestled cyril gone in back-to-back fights i mean <laughs> he he is a marvel he just continues to amaze me and i i i didn't buy into the whole pre-fight thing which we were discussing about its brains versus brawn. I thought there was a little bit to it. I thought there was something to it, right? Because Cyril isn't as terrifying uh, as as Francis, and Francis on the feet isn't quite as the smooth operator that um, that gone is. But it turned out that wasn't what made the difference in the end. Man, I got to tell you, if Curtis Blades can't beat Francis and Stepe Miocic can't beat Francis, DC's retired for now, for now, Cyril Gaon can't beat Francis. We'll talk about that in a second. I don't know who beats Francis. Gotta tell you. <laughs> gotta tell you. Tom Aspinall looks like a great prospect, but he's got to get through Volkov, and that's a hell of a fight right there. Who the hell are the other people he's gonna they're gonna fight him? Jesus Christ! Who did they match that guy up with? Let's see. Who am I forgetting at this point? Derek, okay, there's the Derek rematch, but, uh, no, wait, is Tom fighting Derek, or is Tom Aspinall fighting Volkov, who's fighting, oh, no, Derek's fighting, uh, that's right, so, we got, we gotta figure out who, that, but, like, I know Derek Luce beat him before, but that was, I think we can all grant a very, a very different Francis, um, Curtis Blades is sitting at four. Volkov is sitting at five. Rosenstrike already fought him, sitting at six. You know, Dawkins just coming off the Derek Lewis loss at seven, and after that point, you know, I don't think any of those guys are going to touch. Fra- I mean, who who the fuck's going to beat Francis? Um, I just I'm, I'm 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 you know I'm sorry I I I didn't see uh more potential for this pre-fight, but certainly got the wake up call on this now. Let me look at some of the numbers if I can with this. Very very impressed by I mean I got to say too man, did you did you guys hear the corner work? Did you hear the corner work with the uh well Eric Nixick in the lead and then, you know, he's he's playing maestro here and then pitching it to Dewey, Dewey pitching it back and then, you know, that's very coordinated. They knew exactly what the game plan was. They knew exactly what they wanted him to do. And they knew, they knew how to deliver it. But man. And also like with Nick Sick, dude, he's so good at like certain rounds where he'll dial it back for certain piece of advice, depending on the tenor of the round, he'll dial it up for other ones. And he knows like he doesn't like yell at you in between the third and the fourth. He saves it between the fourth and the fifth, and he says it to me, "We've been through so much. I believe in you. Like, dude, I felt it. Like I know Francis had to feel it. I know he got taken down, but then showing that perseverance through it, you know, you're seeing some of those same kind of grappling. Um, advancements, you know, in a different way, but like with with uh, Israel Adesanya, right, where someone initiates something that looks kind of bad, but then they've got some kind of reversal through the process. It shows a comfortability with that. It shows, um, you know, a certain obviously a certain degree of technical proficiency with with, with those with those moments, those positions, and those those uh, exchanges. So, um, man. I think the only guy who can beat Francis candidly at this point, and until someone proves otherwise in the UFC is is Cyril Cyril Gahn. And I do think gone um, I do think probably most folks will agree that like that was probably 2-2 heading into the fifth. He got the takedown. He f- royally messed that up. But but showing all the other things that he showed, um, I don't know who's going to beat Gon either. Curtis Blade seems interesting, given given what the... We'll talk about the John Jones thing here in just a second. Curtis Blade seems interesting now that it does appear that maybe we learn more about Gon not having... He had 100% takedown defense heading into this fight. And it looked really good in the moments that it was relevant. It just turns out there's a different level of relevant. Uh, Francis is much better. Those long arms allow him to get really good into position, a la John Jones. He's he's got that going for him, you know, pretty well. And um, may, may, maybe Curtis Blades could make things interesting for Gon. I think I think that's an interesting fight to see what happens there. Who could come out on top? Um, a big a big test for Cyril Gon, given what we've seen tonight. Now, what about the John Jones thing? Well, I, I again, I thought uh, I thought Cyril was going to uh, advance tonight, and he even be better than John. And so, certainly, in being wrong about Francis, probably have to dial back that. But who the hell knows? Because we haven't seen John, so maybe that's right, maybe that's wrong. But you know, not really a relevant point of discussion. Obviously, Francis is the big one. So we're asking about in that heavyweight division who can beat him. But you know, the one guy not listed there is, of course, John Jones. How would he do here? You know, could John? put a pace on Francis where he lands a lot actively right he's kind con- you know what, what is John Jones really good at with his striking John Jones excels at what I call single um, uh, single strike high variance he does throw combos time to time John Jones but what he really is quite gifted at and very very smart about is he'll throw side to side high to low. Uh, punch to kick, knee to elbow. In other words, um, it's coming from all over the place. Right? He is—he's you know, just pot shotting you, and they're accurate, and they're fast, and they whip into you. And you know, he's never really doubling them up, or you know, sometimes he'll go same side, he'll go body head, even standing, so be like that. But you get the idea. It's a lot of single shot, single shot, single shot coming from all different places. Could he do that at range long enough to avoid big power? Maybe clinch with him if he had to. And then kind of be on the run and, you know, really work his footwork. Maybe. Maybe that seems doable. Um, Could Francis take him down? Could Francis out-wrestle him? You know, I don't think Cyril Ghosn's takedown defense is bad by any stretch. I want to be clear about that. Like, it didn't show up in the way that he needed it to for him tonight. But I don't think it's bad. Although, I got to say, another thing that he did that I really didn't... When they go for the standing kimura as like a takedown defense, you can go for the standing kimura if you, like, if you can step out and around and then use it to like reverse position. But if or if you've already got it over their um, uh, back and then you can kind of sit, you can pull them into almost like a seated, like a pulled kimura. But you know, just locking up Kimura, where you've got the grip, it's a power. The, I've said it before on this live chat. Why do people go for the the, the two on one? they call it the double wrist lock in um, in catch wrestling. It's because it's a very powerful grip. Like if someone gets it on you, you can't just wiggle your hand free. It's extremely powerful. And so when someone does it, it can like slow someone else down. They can't do a lot to you, but you know, it it, 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 it it's not you're not going to reverse anyone, anybody good, anybody heavy, anybody strong like Francis. He sat for that shit, too. I was like, I think a couple of times, I was like, um, not great. Not great, to be candid with you. So there are clear issues there. I wanna, Where was I going with Francis on this detour? I'm not so sure. Okay, let's use that as an opportunity to take a look at some of the numbers, shall we? These are courtesy uh, 3027, which used to be formerly known as Fightmetric. These are the official stats providers of the UFC. It should also be noted that the numbers you see on screen during the broadcast are routinely incorrect. So, with that in mind, let's get the correct ones. Okay. Wow. Francis Ngannou. uh, He was numerically outstruck. But how many of those were like the slapping things that don't really count? So these numbers... We should be very careful about them. We should always be careful about numbers, but I'm going to extra caution you um, this time. Uh, 63 of 91 for Gone, 43 of 104 for Francis. Uh, Francis actually was busier and got four of five takedowns. Can you believe that? Amazing. Wow, man. That, I mean, if you'd have seen, if you'd have showed me that part of the stat line, um, like, if you could, someone from the future was like, hey, look at the stat line. i have been like, okay, 43 punches. Like, if it, told me it was going to go five rounds, you could imagine a case where Cyril Gon wins going five rounds. That's at least plausible, right? If you had showed me in the stat line, okay, I'm looking at it now, zero knockdowns, okay. Uh, 43 of 104 significant strikes, okay. Total strikes, 71 of 139, okay. Sub attempts, zero. Reversals, one. That's interesting. Control time, 8 minutes and 29 seconds. That's interesting. Takedowns, Four of five. Four of five takedowns. I'm sorry, I just didn't see Totally wrong. Didn't see it coming. You'll learn something new every time in this fight game. Every time. By the way, the judges on this one with their scores, I read the scores to you previously. Let me assign the names to them. Sal D'Amato had it 49-46. Ron McCarthy, 48-47. Derek Clearly, 48-47. Okay. Uh, let's look at targeting. Francis Ngannou. Dude, this is a big part as well. How about Francis doing a ton of body work at range, not chasing the head of Cyril Gan A couple times looking for it, but I thought it was so impressive how Francis and his team, had you could tell they had worked on it. Dude, this guy's going to lean on you. He's going to move side to side on you. He's going to turn you. He's going to be hard to hit. But we'll, what will be there is the body. What will be there is the body. Always when you have an opponent that sticks and moves, look to see if their opponent has a clear game plan to the body early. Canelo against Arislandi Lara, Canelo against Caleb Plant. If he came out right away knowing, I got to kill this dude to the body if I'm going to have any success. Um, it, because he's going to stick and move. Great job. Great, they did a great job. 20% to the head. 20%. Francis's most impressive knockouts all came... Like let's 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 look at Francis's knockouts, right? Who has he KO'd? Okay, in the UFC, he stopped Luis Henrique on the feet with punches to the head. Curtis Blades, same thing. Uh, the Mihalovic guy—that think that was ground and pound, but that doesn't really count because that guy didn't belong there. He submitted Anthony Hamilton, so it doesn't count. Arlovsky, head punches. Overeem, head punches. Curtis Blades, head punches. Cain Velasquez, head punches. Junior Dos Santos, head punches. Rosenstrike, head punches. Miocic, head punches. In this fight, according to the targeting stats that we have here, where he only went 20% to the head, he went 48% to the body. He targeted half of everything he threw to the body. 30% to the leg. So understand that in this fight, even though Francis has the most terrifying one-punch knockout power we've ever seen, he and his team realized that's not really going to help us here. We have to be good enough. We have to be good enough to put together a game plan on our other strengths that uniquely fit the challenge of gone. Because going to the head, you can do it sometimes, obviously, especially with the uppercuts. But in general, he's going to be hard to find. And so they neutered themselves, so to speak, in terms of one of their greater strengths. Also, they could focus in on things that clearly Francis still has abilities in, but which would not say are necessarily the things that have made him, certainly not what got him here. Body punching is not what got him here. Going to the head one out of every five things you throw, including anything with your leg, So all total strikes, one out of every five, is not what got him here. Dude, that is extremely impressive that they did this. Extremely impressive that they did this. That is remarkable. That is remarkable. That you can take a guy, I don't know if out of his comfort zone is the right word, but out of the territory where he has done, matter-of-factly, the best work of his career against the very best foes he could have and they didn't fight that way they fought a different fight at that's very remarkable for a guy who you know the all the talk was about gone who hasn't been training that long in MMA which is true but let's not forget it's not like Francis has been you know at the well I mean he's a seasoned vet I understand but it's not like he's got you know uh double digit experience under his belt either I don't I don't think that he does not yet anyway um so that's just extremely impressive. And then I mentioned the control time as well. Eight minutes and 29 seconds for Francis. Dude, Francis was on top. Again, I was worried about the the, the lack of ground and pound. But um, there was, so, so, Gon did a really good job of, like, from half guard, sitting up, putting his head underneath Francis's, firing an underhook. And if you've ever been in one of those positions even when if to the uninitiated, the person on top might look like they're in control, but I'll tell you who you ask any grappler, who would you rather be the person who is sitting on the, on underneath who is lower than the other person, but has the inside head position and the unhook and even like, let's say a foot or two, Covering the inside space, you are always going to want to be that inside guy. Always, always, always. Because from if you have an underhook in an inside position, you can stand and then you can take him down. You can reverse him. There's just so much more you can do. It even if the other person looks to be on top, right? Um, And so he, so I think that was negating a lot of what Francis wanted to do. But that is, dude, I'm blown away by that man. I'm really, I'm very, very, very impressed by that man. Uh, Herb Dean, by the way. I thought he missed maybe one of the low blows or like eye poke or something. I think it was a low blow that Gon was complaining of. Maybe Herb missed it, but in general was kind of invisible in this fight, uh, which is what you wanted. That's what you want, right? You want you don't want the referees to be involved in this kind of thing at all. So, man, I am I. I gotta tell you that is that is easily the best performance of Francis's career. And you're gonna say, oh no, the Overeem knockout is better or the you know you pick pick something else the i don't know velazquez or Olavsky or whatever his highlight reel is incredible how about this how about francis how about francis breaking the resume review curse how about big old francis blowing up the curse canelo of course blew it up and it didn't exist but how about francis blowing that shit up huh for some of you this will be highly relevant Probably the mouth breathers among you. But nevertheless, nevertheless, it will count. How about that? He fucking blew it up too. Caught me by surprise. Amazing. Amazing. Amazing that he's able to do this at this stage in his career and that his team worked on this. I can't wait to talk to Er Eric. I I hope I get the chance to talk to Eric Nixick about what the game plan is because they, uh, I don't have to go back and look, but they figured that out one uh, to a T. Okay. I'm meandering. I'll come back to it. Let's talk about the co-main event. Devison Figueiredo defeats Brandon Moreno. 48-47, 48-47, 48-47. Unanimous decision. He now claims back the belt that Brandon Moreno um, took from him, fair and square, but now Figueiredo takes it back. Fair and square, depends on your view. I thought scoring would have been all over the place. I thought Figueredo did a little bit more. I, that fight I also thought could have been 2-2 two, two heading into the fifth. I thought he did a little bit more in that fifth round. It's amazing how it often comes down to that between these people. And I thought that made the difference. I thought it was just a little bit ahead and it looked like the judges agreed. Now, I've not seen the scorecards, know exactly how they did it. I will try to look and see. Um, I got to find that. Uh, I'll see what I can do about that But you get the idea uh, Okay, what's the story of this fight? Fair to say Figueredo had a better game plan Brandon Moreno acknowledged it as mu- uh, Said as much in the post-fight interview with Joe Rogan By the way, anecdotally For whatever it's worth I didn't see very many complaints about Rogan and DC tonight on my timeline. Usually, I see a fair amount of complaining, and you know it's Twitter. I, you know, people complain, which isn't to say that the complaints aren't uh, correct. Uh, you know, time to time, time to time, of course they are. But anyway, I didn't see hardly any of that tonight. But okay, um, it looked to me like the wider stance. And the leg kicking, which was probably um, Cejudo-influenced, played a big role. Not brawling as much with Moreno, played a role. I actually feel like lowering the amount of offense played a role. The first two fights were electric because there were so many moments where the shit was just dialed up to 11. And I think Figueroa has had a style up to this point where he liked, I said it before, he's got a good clamp. You see the really good grapplers in MMA aren't the ones that necessarily have, there's a certain kind of skill that guys have to get a bite on something where they can, their initial attempt to grab a submission, a lot of folks have to grab it and then work their way into it. And that can sometimes just be a circumstance Situation, but some of the better ones are the ones that have a good clamp. Charles Oliveira has probably the better clamp. He's got, he might even have a better clamp than like Demi and Maya. He's not a better grappler than Demi and Maya, but he's got a better clamp. And um, Figueroa's got a great clamp too, right? With his legs and with his arms, he can just find a submission fast. And he wasn't pulling the trigger with that as much. He wasn't trying with and the instincts behind that too, like. Clearly, what Henry told him was, "Okay, what are you good at? Let's do those, but let's do those in a more calculated, systematic, programmed way to the extent possible." There will—it's a fight; it's chaotic. It, you know, things are going to happen, but to the extent possible, let's 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 bring this back. Now, I wonder. Normally, I would go to the stats a little bit later, but I wonder if the stats back that up in terms of aggregate volume. I've actually not looked. So let's see what they actually say about this. Because if I'm right, there should be a little bit less volume across the board, I think from both of the three five. Well, the first two the, the second fight didn't go very long, so I guess between the first and the third, but let's see. All right. So this fight, 105 significant strikes for Brandon Moreno, um, 86. Ooh for Brennan, for um, Davison Figueiredo, but, and this is a huge difference, three knockdowns. That is um, it's going to be hard to win fights getting knocked down three times in a championship contest. And if we look at, so we got 105 to 86, okay. So if we look at their first fight yeah, first fight 132 to 137. So uh, about another round's worth of volume, basically even more. And what was the average output in the second round of the first fight or excuse me the second fight so Brandon Moreno 25 strikes landed significant strikes in the first round of that one then 10 and then 12 um let's see in this one how did he do 10 28 in the second okay 26 in the third those are good numbers gets back down to earth a little bit in the eh, volume was high so that doesn't count no So that's not the issue on that side Um, but from the second fight. But relative to the first one, significantly less uh, uh, overall volume. Okay, I'll come back to the stats here in just a minute. So it it didn't so much pair out for the second. Well, the second one and the third one were more alike, I guess. But it certainly was a difference between the first and the third. Neither here nor there. Clearly, Figueredo had great leg kicks. Brandon Moreno, I think, was a little bit surprised by him. And Brandon Moreno had an interesting game plan that I thought was really well-situated for their first fight, which was he was going to play a counterfighting role, sometimes counterfighting even through pressure, but counterfighting just the same. But the two were related. The counterfighting with high activity allowed him to land and then push Figueredo backwards. But without there being much activity here... He couldn't land as much, which means the pressure game was incon. It, it did work at times, but it was inconsistent. Sometimes they were just kind of facing off in front of each other, and he couldn't get that part that really slows down and minimizes Figueroa on the feet going as a consequence. That's really smart by Henry Cejudo and, and the team. Smart to dial him back a little bit. Not a whole lot. They didn't turn him into a different fighter altogether, but they made him a much more focused fighter. He wasn't throwing garbage out there and chasing these, uh, you know, scrambles like squirrels. He tried to, They tried his team anyway, tried to get him to avoid that this time. And it paid huge dividends. So he had a better outside game. He's not going so crazy. Let me look at some of his targeting on this one as well. So this is targeting for Devison Figueiredo. He targeted the leg 31% of the time in this one. What about the second fight? He targeted the leg 16% in that one. Wow. And in the first one, you got to be shitting me. 7%. 7% in the first one, he targeted the leg. Devison Figueredo. 7%, 87% to the head. Okay. So 87 and 7 were the numbers there for head and leg. For for Devison Figueroa, and this time it was forty six and thirty one. Much better distribution of targets. Much met- much more. Um, uh, and I think not doesn't need it doesn't need to be this balanced for every opponent, but for this one, nice balance of different kinds: forty six percent to the head, twenty two percent to the body, thirty one percent to the leg. So he ratcheted up. The pot shotting that was hard pot shotting, but pot shotting at distance. He didn't chase the firefight. He didn't chase the scrambles when he could avoid it. There was a couple times where you know Brandon took it to him and 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 had some success with it. What what rounds were those? I have to go back and look. Let's see here. Uh Moreno got a takedown in the fifth, certainly. Um but that was a that was a that was a hell of an effort from the Brazilian there that really was so smart of him and you know you got to give credit to the team man they did it all right His weight cut was phenomenal he looked great at 124 on the scales uh, sucked out of course you know it's a big weight cut they're not it's not it's not nothing but it was handled expertly. You know, dude, you can just see the different dude. Look at the camp for that. Not not to say that Gon doesn't have this, or not to say that that uh, Moreno doesn't have this. That's not in any way what I am saying. But I am I am saying, just look at the winning corners here, dude. They've got everyone's got a role. Everyone understands it. There's a hierarchy there. The fighter has a game plan. He has an objective. Everyone knows it. Everyone understands it, and. They execute and then make adjustments on uh, as it proceeds, and and there's all it's it's very structured or very ordered, and it has to be given how chaotic this is. So the question you have to ask yourself is, if you're one of those trainers or those coaches, is okay, we can get this whole process dialed in, but do we have the right idea about what works? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Do they did? And, and they executed it to perfection. How about these guys, Deverson Figueredo, 34, Francis Ngannou, 35, getting with the right people. And again, not to say that the people they were with before didn't level them up, because they did. Everyone plays a journey in the development of a martial artist and a fighter from nothing to to, to, to their highest heights. Everyone plays a role. But you know, turning that corner for what they needed at that time in their career, what can you say about what that? But that was... Phenomenal. Didn't work out for Zhang Lee but even she looked to have a better game plan, and that was smart, man. That was really, really, really smart. Take away the legs. Don't brawl. Um, I will say this about Brandon Marino. You know what stood out to me about him that I thought was impressive? Because I was going to say go for the takedown with Devison Figueiredo, and they did. They went after 11 takedowns. He attempted three in the first, four in the second, But, and I'll explain why I think this turns, just one in the third, one in the fourth, and then he attempted two in the fifth. The two in the fifth, to me, looked like he was just putting in the effort to win. But I will tell you what the story was. The one thing about Brandon Moreno that I really thought was good here, the problem was because Figueredo dialed it back, he just stood around too long, waiting, not doing anything. If I'm waiting for someone to throw, famously, if you watch the, I think it was the last fight, on Rico Rodriguez's contract, Rico Rodriguez. For folks who don't know, Tim Sylvia beat him to get the title. But Rico Rodriguez, back in the day, was considered like the future of what heavyweight fighting could be, and and blah 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 and was really impressive and athletic and could wrestle and could strike and do everything else. And um, but eventually, kind of washed out of the UFC. And his last fight was with Pedro Hizo, and both of them were counter strikers. And for three rounds, they fucking look at each other. It's the most unbelievable bizarre shit you've ever seen you're like dudes because dude Pedro Hizo was a violent finisher at, you know and Rico Rodriguez is you know I think that wasn't peak but you know they just stood there in front so for Brandon Moreno he just stood around too long just kind of waiting but 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 one of the things Figueiredo did that worked early that Moreno took away from him was a lot of times he was going way out you know like, uh, calf kick, calf kick, circle, constantly turning Moreno. Did you guys notice that? Always making him turn. And, um, what he would do is, I'm trying, I'm trying to think about exactly how I want to say this. What, what, he, what Figueroa was able to do, uh, initially was throw through a blitz and then. You know, get some response from Moreno and then get underneath it. So he was waiting for or, or he was waiting for either responses or combinations through responses, and then he was trying to get underneath it and co- like every time though, right? Like really put doubt in Brandon's ability to blitz with combinations and move forward because that's what that's how Brandon. When Brandon's busy, he's better. He he has to counter-strike to be busy. But he, he, when he's busy, he's good. When he's not, it's a little bit harder for him. So, uh, but but what I noticed with the takedowns were at first that was working really well, where you know it was really offsetting Brandon, and um, and then he goes from defending it where you know he's able to either uh, get up off the bottom or whatever, to now he's kind of you know neutralizing it and then separating. Right, because he knows it's coming now, so he's adjusted for it. You can see him. So, what he would do is he would throw it and then immediately fire an underhook before he could even see a level change from Figueredo, knowing it would be necessary. And sure enough, he was right, it was. Right, so that was really smart. And then he went from like getting off of his feet to like defending it to neutralizing it to then he was the one he would throw. Block the takedown, and then he would throw on top of it, and that completely dissuaded Figueredo in that third and fourth round. And again, by the fifth, there were the, the fight got a little bit more opened up, um, but you get the idea there. Very, very, very impressive by Moreno to encounter something that was initially trouble for him. Not only not really take it away, but then actively to take it away as like a threat to yourself, but then actively deter him and make him even like stop doing it. Oh, not completely, but a lot in any kind of concerted way by virtue of how you had really adjusted well to that very 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 good work from Brandon Moreno. And again, um this was a fight where afterward Figueredo says, "Let's do a fourth fight and let's do it in Mexico City." No one no 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 team, no pair has ever fought four times in UFC. It happens in boxing a little more regularly, but it's never happened in UFC. I can't think of a better time to do that than this. This is uh, These two guys are built for each other, and I think Mar- I, uh, my friend uh, R.J. Clifford, who works for uh, Sirius XM and, and I think UFC as well, he tweeted, like, okay, these guys have fought three times, and I'd, I'm i really not sure who the better fighter is. I still kind of feel like Moreno's the better fighter. He's certainly the better fighter in the firefight. That's true. But um, it still remains to be seen. Figueredo, Figueredo, Figueredo had a better game plan tonight of the two. He did. It was better. It was smarter. It was smarter. He knew that they worked in a way where one was kind of waiting on the other. So how do I turn the spigot off and then just blast him you know when I want to. That was uh, rather than having a fire hose, they put the thing at the end of the fire hose where you now can pull the the trigger on it and spray it in a coordinated way. Huh? There's your analogy. That's a very dad analogy. Um but you know, I'm fucking 42. What do I have to hide? People don't think I'm cool. They never have. They never will. It's okay. I don't mind. Uh, all right. If you're watching this, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. Please hit subscribe. Hit subscribe. Hit subscribe. You hear me saying this to you. I need you to do it. Um. The power difference. Joe Rogan, or maybe it was Cormier. I can't remember who. One of them said they thought that Moreno hit harder than Figueredo. I don't think that's true. I think that I think that Brandon is better, as I indicated, in the firefight. He likes the heat of the moment. I think he's got a better chin, even though he got knocked down. Now, some of those knockdowns were from the... One of the one of the knockdowns was from the leg kick, I think. Again, I have to go back and review it. Um, and, and, but they were big punches, too. But I just mean to say that Brandon Moreno is durable as shit. I think that Figueredo hits harder, and so Brandon was eating harder punches... I think Brandon hits plenty hard. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, I'm just saying. I think Figueroa is a little bit more of a power puncher. Um, but I thought that Brandon's punches, it was weird, right? They were having this effect where, it like, it would look like Figueroa would like go, like slow motion for a second, and then kind of pick it back up. It was, I, I didn't know exactly what impact they were having all the time. But dude, you know, it's if if you're if you're giving up two takedowns, that's not super detrimental. But the three knockdowns, um, and then two and almost a half minutes of control time, you just can't do it. You can't give it away. And again, here's that stat line. If you had showed me, okay, Figueroa's going to land 95 strikes, he'll go the distance, he'll get two of 11 takedowns, I'd be like, okay, it's a little surprising, but eh, not that real. No, that's actually pretty good. That sounds about right. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, he'll get three knockdowns. I'd be like, three? Fuck. That's a lot for a guy who got I mean, Moreno ran through him last time. Uh Impressive. That's impressive by him. Um to be able to 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 really fine-tune. Like if you think about it, they changed his the stance a little bit, they widened it. But did they really reinvent him? They didn't, right? Like they took what he's good at, gave him a couple little extra dimensions, and um cleaned it up and then sent him back out there and he executed so for Moreno to beat Figueroa, you could say he got pretty close tonight true but the thing that really slowed him down was the waiting and so therefore the relative inactivity and as a consequence he's going to have to find some kind of way to create more openings you guys know my work then you hear me say it all the time There is going to be a difference between fighters who take advantage of openings, which is, by the way, no small feat, like it's still important, perhaps the most important given the regularity of it, but there's a difference between that and then somebody who can create openings right that, that there's nothing going on that was going for them and then they can do things that now make openings appear and then take advantage of them that those are the ones you got to be really really worried about if Moreno can advance to that gear and every indication is he seems like the kind of guy who can but the question is how fast and blah 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 is that that's the missing piece of his that's the that's I'm not saying the okay I almost said that's the missing piece that's a missing piece of his game but perhaps one of the more important ones because he doesn't have to do things that he doesn't like. Not all the time. He doesn't have to change who he is anyway. But he but if you're if you're gonna wait on offense, your best work is contingent upon your opponent's activity the, the predominant amount of the time. If your opponent clearly deprives you of that, you are gonna be swimming upstream at that point. You need to create your own downstream where I can just Look at you, move in a certain way, faint a certain way, throw a certain thing, whatever, whatever I have to do, to get you to be open and then and then attack. If Moreno can do that, and he can do that to some degree, but if he can really lean into that, um, I, you know, he can be something pretty impressive. So that was really the issue there. I, by the way, I gotta say, like the the that gave me vibes. And was that the Honda Center? I forget where Kane Velasquez beat um, Brock Lesnar. But I think that was the Honda Center. I could be wrong. If it is, dead wrong me or whatever. But I remember when Kane, um, you know, you go to most MMA shows. This is changing a little bit now. But, like, back in the the aughts, you know, dude, it was like 98% just normal American white people. You know, it was very few of anybody else. That's changing a little bit now. But I, I distinctly recall, I'm not saying it pejorative. I'm just saying that's just who's there. That's just who's there. That was just who was there. Uh, obviously, a lot of Brazilians and shit like that too. But um, okay, I remember when Kane beat Lesnar that that was the first time you, you just you looked in the audience and you had never seen that many Hispanic fans out to see at a moment in MMA for the UFC anyway, like in in the United States. Not so much in another country, but certainly like. In the United States at that point for a Hispanic fighter. Right? That connection between the Hispanic market that's here and then the Hispanic fighter. Now, granted, Brandon Murray is from Mexico, but this was in the United States. Um and that it reminded me of that. Now he didn't obviously give them what they want in the end. Some people might think he won. Up to you to decide that. But um, that was that that reminded me tonight. And I do think it was smart of them to put this fight in LA. I think that was a good call by UFC. And they, by the way, you know, in the California Commission, they got, for the most part, they got pretty good judging. I, I know some folks probably agree with this call because people. Brandon Moreno is extremely well-liked and it was close. But um, you, got a, you, got a great, you got a great team of officiants for the most part for this. Frank Trigg out there um, doing some interesting work as well. So if you have a question about this, we'll get to it. All my tweets. How long have I been going for? Jesus Christ. Uh, well, Pretty long. Okay. Uh, on the rest of this card, I'm not sure what to say. Michelle per- uh, Pereira defeating Andre Fialio. 29-28 across the board. Um, I don't have much to say about it. made Nurmagomedov defeating Cody Stamen. Man... Cody Stateman's a very talented fighter, and I, I think he'll want this one back. He gets submitted guillotine choke 47 seconds into the first round. I think he'll want this one back because while Nurmagomedov was slick to sneak the arm behind him in the scramble as Cody got, got taken down, so then he begins to sit up As he gets, as he sits up, he puts his ear like a head outside single or head outside double to Nurmagomedov. And Nurmagomedov snakes his arm in transition around. So, you know, Nurmagomedov was slick with it. But at the same time, maybe I think if you talk to Stamen, and I haven't obviously, but I have a feeling that he would probably say he wants that one back because he didn't need to get up that way so quickly. And then uh, Michael Morales defeating Trevin Giles. Trevin Giles making some interesting choices that I just didn't understand galloping into uh, Morales and then throwing a punch kind of far away and missing and then just getting chewed up on the counter um, Michael Morales didn't even look he looks down when he throws go back and look at the uh, go look at the the footage he actually looks down before he throws it landed and it landed hard but he didn't he, he actually was blind when he threw it so uh, but we'll talk about some of that stuff on maybe um, what you call it um, extra credit all right let's see what some of your questions are, shall we? Who do you think John Jones gives the hardest time to at heavyweight? Stipe, gone, or Francis? At this point, I guess, again, before, before tonight, my answer was gone. I need to see what kind of retooling he does with his grappling and his wrestling and then some of the decisions around that. Um, I guess it might be Francis. I, I've been wrong about Francis, and so... Probably Francis. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, one thing about John is John is John makes good fight decisions too. He has high fight IQ. You notice he didn't really brawl it out with Chaco Santos. He didn't really like the big punchers. He kind of stays away from. Um, I think I think Francis could give him some interesting problems. Maybe John's more competitive than I give him credit as well. Certainly, that can obviously be the case. While he won, I don't think Francis raised his popularity very much. Doesn't have much more bargaining power than before. Viewership weigh press conference did better than 260, but not as much as Usman Izzy. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe he didn't do a lot. F- well, okay. He didn't have a performance that is going to be memorable in the kind of way that I think perhaps UFC might have hoped if he sticks around or that maybe even he would have hoped. Like, it wasn't this dramatic knockout, right? They're not going to make a lot of NFTs except for maybe anything but the slam that Francis had. Um, But at the same time, remember, the New York Times did a huge article on him. Uh, ESPN, the magazine, did a huge article on him. You know, he was on The Daily Show. You know, celebrities are shouting him out. Even though he uh, didn't look like super amazing in terms of like being entertaining tonight. He made good on the promise of a win. That counts for something when you do these kinds of, when you get these kinds of press exposures. These media cycles, they do count even with a win. And again, dude, it's not like he doesn't have a good highlight reel outside of this fight. And also, again, dude, again, people aren't going to buy a John Jones fight like. I know what your point is. This was not the kind of thing that makes me want to like see a, a you know, by itself doesn't want to make me see a Francis and Ganu fight. But dude, are we really going to say Francis's fights fucking suck? It just wasn't his like most exciting fight tonight. No, no. But here's the thing: if you're an insider, if you're a hardcore fan, if if you know better, then I don't think I'm the only one saying this tonight. I bet you that other people are saying it tonight too, which is. Okay, maybe this isn't the kind of performance that gets the crowd on their feet. But it gets the insiders to go, huh. Yeah, Francis is fucking good. We can remove the most dangerous part of his game and still beat the most dangerous threat? Wow, man. Wow. How the fuck are they going to beat this guy? They're not going to... They're gonna have to wait till he dies of old fucking age, and then do weekend at Bernie's to get any shot. Uh, you know, based on the way that he's beating motherfuckers these days, it's just unbelievable. You know. Um, so your point is, I understand it. I saw John Nash tweet that, like, oh, the this will ruin his bargaining power with the Fury fight. I mean, I don't know what bargaining power he would have if they can end up even making such a thing. But I gotta tell you, I'm a big believer that they could sell the fuck out of that fight. Even with tonight's performance, I gotta tell you. They would, dude, again, Francis's highlight reel, his status, you know, they would find a way. Even if John is declining, I think this fight shows he has a better chance than I thought. I would agree. I would agree. We'll have to see. No one really knows how John's gonna look, but I, I will agree. The idea that Gon and Francis are so lights-out dominant that John couldn't hope to compete is pretty clearly not true. Or so we think. Is this a problem for Gon now in that other people will be able to take him down and make him do dumb stuff? Or was that somehow an Nganu thing? Could be just an Nganu thing because it was a training partner scenario. That could be true. I think we'll have to see. There's no way to know. You're right to think that um, he could have quirkily done it with a guy he knew really well. And so that threw him off in some kind of weird way. That's possible. Um, we'll have to see a Kurt, again. A Curtis Blades fight would be very telling, very telling. Luke, how do you feel about Nganu being given the fifth on the basis of half a round of control and no damage? That's the other part too. It's like, what do they reward? You see, Gon got on. Gon got the takedown. And then sat for a submission and applied it. There was, I saw one, maybe two decent applications of it um, where he was kind of cranking. You know, what was weird to me was that he never reaped the knee. It, 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 it was almost like when he was going for the heel hook, he was going by like, you know, uh, certain tournament grappling rules where you're not like IBJJF rules or whatever the fuck uh, for like noogie grappling. Where you're not allowed to reap the knee. Uh, but you can reap the knee in MMA. Like, you can absolutely do it. And he like wasn't doing that. No, he was doing a different kind of uh, heel hook that wouldn't have... I think he would have to switch his grip. I have to go back and see what he did in the transition. It's all a bit of a blur. But um, anyway. I, dude, why the fuck did he sit? I mean, what a epic miscalculation. Anyway, we'll have to see what the fuck he does next time. Um... Oh, oh! Uh, let me look at the numbers for the fifth round. So this is the fifth round in numbers, and again numerically, it may. Let's see what it says. So they're going to give uh, Cyril Gahn seven of twelve strike strikes. Francis just five of thirteen. Um. That's interesting. So Cyril Gon landed two more in that round but francis attempted 13 and got is credited with two it's credited with a reversal it's close it's close dude that's what i mean like this is why cyril sitting to that thing it's like okay i guess you get the submission there uh the attempt is like an attempt to you know advance the fight but it, it was not a very tight heel hook and it was not like I mean, it was, it, was, it was okay. It wasn't, like, terrible, but, you know, seen better. Um, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. I really don't know what the fuck he was thinking. All right, let's get back to some of your questions here. Any thoughts on Dana not putting the belt on Francis and skipping the post-fight press conference? Before we jump to conclusions, we should maybe hear what, the, there might be something going on. Um, Not so much with these two, like behind the scenes, some issue at T-Mobile or or not T-Mobile, Honda Center, or maybe he has some personal emergency. Like, you know, it doesn't look great, but we don't know. We should we should admit that we don't know. Someone says, if you didn't know, Askarov and Pantoja were injured, not ready. Feel like Moreno needs a win before a fourth. That's fine. That's fine. And they couldn't really go to Mexico City anyway because of COVID bullshit. Uh, but that's fine. I, I, I'm not saying, like, the fourth one has to be next, you know. But, you know, if if they ended up, like, I don't know, Pantoja gets the next one and Figgy wins. And then Moreno beats Askarov in some kind of rematch. I wouldn't mind a fourth. How about that? Someone says, feels like most people only remembered that Moreno Figgy won was a draw, not the fact that if you if not for the point deduction in that fight, Figgy would have won it by unanimous decision. Yes. But that fight is pretty different than the third fight. So, and certainly different than the second fight. But I mean, even if you want to compare the two five rounders, there's this major strategic shift which we've been talking about that that just just makes them very different experiences. Is it possible the heel hook didn't work because Francis's knee was already blown out? LOL. <laughs> Maybe. Honestly, that's that's funny you bring that up, maybe. Maybe. Do you think that Francis won the fifth round despite Cyril having success on the feet and going for a sub? Yeah, we kind of been over this one. I know Francis won anyways, but to me, it looked like he had multiple opportunities for the Von flu choke with Gon's arm wrapped around the back of the head. However, Francis continually moves the arm off. You think you didn't know about it or just chose to keep the control no dude let me explain something to you when you're a big strong guy like that the first fucking thing they teach you at jujitsu is head and arm triangles it's the first fucking thing i mean you might learn guillotines first you might learn rear naked chokes first but i guarantee if you're if you're above 250 pounds every fucking instructor on earth will come up to you and be like hey big fella you know especially if you're new let's work on the head and arm triangle and you know it's such a power move. Do, you go back and look at the head and arm triangle that Brock Lesnar hit on Shane Carwin. From a technical application, it's not well applied. Like, that's not a textbook head and arm triangle by a million miles. And Shane Carwin, you know, had lactic acidosis or whatever the fuck was ailing him. Uh, fair enough. But still, the point is that you can, with that position in MMA, it is often possible to just fucking He Man it. You can He Man that position. Von Flew would be a little bit different. Von Flew requires you would have to wrap and then trap his arm with your own grip. Head and arm triangle, you would not have to do that. But the point being is, one of the problems with being a big man and going for a head and arm triangle is it actually can be a pretty technical position. There's a few different ways that I've seen it taught to be finished. Um, I had one instructor show us that you can actually kind of put your chest on the back of their arm And kind of like rise up into it and that, that's one way uh, You know a lot of other guys will then twist you know is another one you can do to kind of finish it walk away from it There's a lot of things you can do but uh, The point being is a lot of times big guys will put a lot of energy into it right they'll fucking ah. You can get it but in the fifth round of, a, of an MMA fight with a, an opponent like Cyril Gaon and granted, there was other opportunities, but I can understand why he might be apprehensive about that. He absolutely knows how to do a head and arm triangle. I think he chose not to, and probably wisely. Tell us how weight and size is considerably more important in grappling than striking. Francis has improved technique, but this is exactly how to beat somebody when you've got size on them. Yeah, dude. Gon's size is good because he's still big enough to handle himself, 247 or so, um, to handle himself when he has to in the clinch, and you know to an extent on the ground as well. Um, but obviously, he's lighter. He's like a tight end. He can kind of move. He can dart. He can get in and out. And he's bouncing, right? So he, he, he gets to manage his resources that way. But uh, the problem with that is if you lock up with somebody bigger than you and they're strong as fuck, You know, you are giving up, he gave up at least 10, maybe 15, Cormier thinks 20 pounds. Man, that, dude, 20 pounds with somebody who knows how to use it, it's like being trapped under a sheet of fucking ice. Ha, it is terrible, bro. It is terrible. You know, there's been times where there's this dude we got paired up with, I used to train with all the time. He was well into the 300 pounds and technical and technical. And, you know, you get underneath him inside control, and sometimes the fucking coach would be fucking around with we'll, like put like a nine minute round on the board. That's a long nine minutes, bro. Let me fucking tell you. That's a long nine minutes. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 there is not a lot of air under there. It is absolutely fucking horrible. And the guys who are good, you know, um, Who was it who taught me this? One of the great things that was taught to me was, and there's different ways to execute this, but let me give you an example. How do you put your pressure on top? If you've never trained, you cannot you cannot appreciate this. But people talk about certain people's crushing power. You guys hear me all the time talk about shoulder pressure, right? If you can shoulder pressure your way into someone, you can make them look away and immobilize the top of their spine, and then you immobilize their waist, you can pass them. It's extremely uh, painful. Bernardo Faria That's one I always talk about. He showed me his shoulder pressure once, and I thought my jaw was gonna shatter into a million pieces, it was so painful. I couldn't believe how fucking hard it was, right? So you, so um, and that's with, when, Imagine he, I think he's even smaller than me. So imagine someone like fucking Francis being on top of you. You know, it must be hard as shit just to get that underhook. And like, you know, I was telling you before, where would you rather be, the inside guy or the outside guy? If you're sitting up, you got the underhook and you got your head underneath. But those guys can lean on you and then they can break your spine down so you don't have that pressure to, to keep up. And it's heavy and it fucking sucks. But the thing that someone showed me one time, if you've never trained, you can't appreciate this. You can try it if you go to the gym the next time. Get a medicine ball, put your hands behind your back. Um, start on your knees to first put your chest on top of the medicine ball, and then try with your hands behind your back, using your feet, walk around the medicine ball and then change directions, like dynamically move around it. And you might be asking, like, where should you be positioning with your chest relative to the medicine ball for this drill to make sense? And the answer is you need to press the medicine ball where it actually hurts the most on your chest. This is actually a I won't say a super painful drill, but it is an uncomfortable drill. It hurts. Because that position, while it is quite painful to you to do that drill, that is exactly the sweet spot where you are driving maximum force down on top of them. And it takes time to get the feel for that. Where exactly do you go? Where do your grips need to be? Where do I like to grip? Some people like to take their middle finger, go underneath someone's neck, and then grab the armpit of the other guy and then pull that to them. Like All these things you got to figure out, for you to do, but if you can get someone heavy who has done that work and is just a top control guy, shit, bro. <laughs> you know, you better call the fucking, you better call the excavation crew. Where's the where's Francis on the heavyweight goat list? Brian Campbell believes with a win like this, he can set himself up for a path towards goat but he's not quite there yet even though he did beat stipe and blah blah and then beating gone is just extremely impressive um i don't know he, on the journey is, i think we'll know when we get there but we're not quite there yet does it make sense now if francis and the ufc make up to run it back with stipe is that is that where the market is or is the market with the john jones fight like I tweeted about it before the fight. How I couldn't believe how ir- I knew Stipe would not be the focus of discussions around this week or about the possibilities of what was going to be in the future. I, I okay, fair enough, but he was fucking invisible in discussions, which I thought was strange, and um, but it, but but telling. I think the fan base kind of soured on him a little bit, to be honest with you. So uh, not like as a person, but as somebody who like they're they're clamoring to see. Does anyone want to watch the next Cyril Gon fight? Um, you know, this wasn't his his most dynamic offensive display, but I, you know he's got some some good ones. Should Gon's leg kicks, where he had zero power in them, count for anything? They count for Gon in the sense that he is setting things up with them. He's he's doing them to elicit either a reaction or to set something else up. So for him, they have value is what you're saying is should the judges weigh those heavily as a strike that does damage? No. What is left for Francis at heavyweight if John Jones doesn't get the 10 mil he wants to fight Francis? Well, John's not going to get the 10 mil he wants to fight Francis although I despite my many differences with John Jones and they are a plenty, I'd certainly agree he does deserve 10 million and, and a lot more than that for his fights. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. Um, this is why a potential boxing match versus Fury. I'm like, oh, I don't want to see that now. Bull fucking shit. If they can make that happen, that would do gangbusters. How similar is Gon's run to the title and defeat compared to and Gon who's loss to Miocic in terms of rookie mistakes and improvements in a potential rematch? I would say Gon is much further along in terms of overall fighter development, but the, the narrative parallels certainly appear to be there in, in some kind of fashion. And... The one thing I will say though is Francis is oh, excuse me, Francis. F- Francis is Francis stumbled a little bit against Derek Lewis, but the larger story is quite clear. He has he has righted the ship and really revolutionized himself. I think Cyril doesn't need a revolution, but he does need an evolution. And so we'll see if he can get that. Would the results have been different if Francis did not have a torn ACL, meaning would he have KO'd Gon? He may, may, maybe, because he maybe would have been, he would have pursued more. Hard to say. A lot of questions about John Jones. Is it eerie how Gon looked lost on the ground like Francis did in the first fight? Again, dude, Gon did not look nearly as lost on the ground as Francis did. He looked lost on the ground in a in a similar way relatively speaking. Gone is way ahead. Even as bad I mean that's how bad it was for like for Francis at the time. He was well out of his depth. gone has got already more tools than that. But but um he, he he has some stuff to work on for sure. Yeah, more questions like does John Jones have more confidence? He probably does. Probably does it's hard it's hard to know what, but again i still the one thing i'll just maintain with john jones is he did leave light heavyweight as I, as at the moment that i believe the division was catching up and then uh, about ready to pass him i do believe that maybe they'd still be kind of at nipping at his heels a little bit but like i, I first of all i thought dominic reyes beat him you know, I thought Dominic Reyes beat him fair and square, quite honestly. I thought Texas really fucked that up for Dominic. Now, obviously, Dominic then lost to Jan, and then Jan, blah, blah, blah. We get the story, and, you know, you know. do I think John could beat Glover Teixeira? Yes, of course I do. But, uh, and he already has. Uh, but, um, but I, I kind of thought the division was catching up with him. And so the move, I thought, was smart on John's part, because in general, heavyweight won't be as difficult as light heavyweight in certain athletic respects. I don't think the division is as good. However, you got these two guys at the top, and so that's where it gets kind of complicated and interesting. John says he wants to come in at 270. The guys John's got in his corners, like, you know, Brendan Gibson, great striking coach, but i got to tell you, Stan Effordine, the rhino, dude, Stan Effordine's a fucking beast. I have a very high opinion of Stan Effordine. I think he is, um, you know, smart. I think he is one of the guys who really understands what works in the gym, what athletes need how to correct that for them. Like, he's got good people around him, man. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I will say, you know, I've been a little bit poo-pooing John's thing. I, to, to wrap up here on the point, the one thing I will maintain is that I do think the idea of, like, preordained greatness is still, like, as automatic, is still just premature. I still think it is very much worth being like, let's see what the John Jones heavyweight experiment looks like. But fair enough, some of the concerns about what we think we might have or what we were going to encounter upon his return, some of those concerns appear maybe a little bit unfounded. As impressive as Ngannou's performance was tonight, can we agree boxing would be a terrible idea for him? Well, if he had KO'd Cyril in the first round, would he have had any better of a chance against Tyson Fury? Do Tyson Fury, would... Do terrible things to him. Uh, I I actually walk away with this having a better feeling about his boxing because he at least was able to be disciplined about targeting. Again, questions about the goat. What I think of Henry's tattoo? I didn't see it. Someone says I had gone one, two, and five. I think that's fair. The slam was insane. Someone says Gon should have got that decision. Francis was basically laying on top of Gon. Yeah, again, I think forty-nine, forty-six is ridiculous. I agree. I don't. I don't see four rounds for for Francis. I think he. I think he won the fight rightfully, but I don't think he won four of them. No. Do you think UFC was happy with Rogan mentioning boxing? They might have asked him to do it. To be honest with you, for headlines, for ESPN's sake, like they're often. I'm not telling. Them, I'm, I'm not suggesting they tell him what to do. I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think anyone tells him what to do. But they are suggestive. Yes. Ariel said somebody from a Vegas area code texted this to Francis. Uh, this morning. I'm pretty sure we all know who sent this. <laughs> Is that real? That can't be real. That can't be real. That cannot be. Re- Is that fucking real? That cannot be real. Holy shit, it is real. Wow. Well, this is from his manager, Markel Martin. I'm sorry for uh, sort of like mouth-breathing on the air. Someone, this is the manager of Francis Ngannou. So someone with a 702 area code. He doesn't say who. The number is blocked out but for 702, which suggests Las Vegas. Quote, Let's see who gets the last word after tonight. I'm just going to read what it says. You dumb black bitch. This is the quote. The fact that Francis would ever listen to you lets you know how much of a dumb piece of shit he is, too. After this, you will go back to selling suits at Nordstrom, you fucking moron. Wow. Wow. I don't know who sent that, but that is uh Jesus. That is fucking terrible. Wow. Okay. Well, uh on that note, <laughs> Jesus, that is awful. Um thank you so much for watching. Thumbs up on this. There'll be a Morning Combat on Monday. And, uh, yeah, what did you guys think? What was the standout thing to you? What did you agree with what I said? What did you disagree with what I said? Post a comment. Let me know. And, uh, yeah, you want to email me, you can email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. It's 2.30 in the morning. And with that, bitches, it's time to get some sleep.